Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. This week, Pastor Kenny taught from James chapter 5, verse 12, reminding us why character matters and some of its implications. For 30-some-odd years before he started his public ministry, saw him before, during, and after, and after, after all was said and done, um, after Jesus uh, died, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, he chose to follow this Jesus, who was his brother and now was his Lord. Um, he became one of the leaders, one of the main leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Um, a little bit about the history of this church in Jerusalem. After Jesus ascended, he told them to go uh, to all the nations and make disciples. Um, they started making disciples, but it wasn't for a while till they went to all the nations. They kind of stayed in Jerusalem around Acts uh, chapter 8. Acts is a book in the New Testament that gives a history of the, new, the, uh, uh, of the beginning of the church. Around chapter 8, um, a persecution comes into Jerusalem, which causes them to flee and go all over the place. And so one of the byproducts of that is that the gospel is now going to all the nations through this persecution, what, 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 what uh, the enemy intended for evil, God's intended for good, which often is what we see in our own lives and, and in the scriptures. And so these churches are spreading out all over the place. And guess what's at these churches? People. Guess what happens when you put a bunch of people together? It's messy, right? And so all these letters, a lot of the letters that are written, the epistles, the letters that are written to these churches are written in the context of some messiness, but a lot of sincerity. They want to follow Jesus. They want to love each other. That's not always easy. Neither of those are always easy. So there's a lot of instruction. And James writes this letter with this kind of in mind. We've looked at a lot of different things. I think some of the things that have stood out to me in James's letter is that he really emphasizes a lot about uh, following God as a heart issue. Right? Have you guys noticed that? Why you do what you do is incredibly important to God. Um, that you do what, what you're supposed to do, that you're obedient is important to God. But even deeper than that, why you do what you do and why you don't do what you don't do is important to God. Specifically because it, it, it's like this check engine light that, that lets you know what's going on really in your heart. And one of the key passages he gives is that he wants us, he wants them to grow to maturity. He wants us to grow to maturity, which looks like becoming more and more like Jesus. And he throws all of these real life things at us. Like when you go through struggles, rejoice. Why? Because God's mission isn't always to make you happy in the moment. It's more to make you holy, right? It's to change your heart and to make you more and more like this Jesus. And so through all of this letter, we're seeing this common theme. And today we're going to look at one verse and it, it has this same uh, a thread through it, that it is a, a message for us that, what you, that your heart matters, that what's going on in your heart matters. And so James 5 verses 12, just one verse, he says this, he says, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you won't fall under judgment. If you have your paper Bible, uh, I'd like you to pull that out, and I'd encourage you guys to circle, underline, or highlight the words above all. He starts this, 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 this sentence, this, this verse, with above all, and then in your margins, just write down high priority. 
When it says above all, he's not, this isn't a conjunction. He's not, he's not conjoining it to what happened before. He's, he's really, he's bringing the conclusion of the letter. And what he's saying is, what I'm about to tell you is of high importance. Above all. You have all these things going on, but put this above all for a moment. Think about this in a, in a high priority with all of the other things that you have going on. Kind of, kind of let this be at the top for a moment while we think about it. Make this a high priority. And then there's an imperative. He says, do not swear. Do not swear by, and then he gives some, 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 some chatter about that. Um, first thing I want to do is just talk about what this doesn't mean. What I've seen some people kind of grab onto this and try to make it mean, but I think it's pretty clear that it doesn't mean these things. And so I'm going to give you three, and then I'm going to share with you kind of the big idea of what I think it means and then some application or some implication about what that would look like for us to let this kind of absorb into our hearts and, and, and grow to some fruit. Uh, so what this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean, um, he, when he says do not swear, he's not talking about swearing in the sense of cussing or foul language. You could make a very good argument against that from other places in the scripture. I'm not, I'm not condoning that here, but what I'm saying is we'll, we'll miss the above all point that he's trying to make if we let it be that this isn't a passage that is is directly addressing cussing when he says do not swear although we use the word swear don't swear to our kids and we mean don't cuss it's not what James is doing here uh, the second thing that he's not doing he's not he's not giving a a, a, a direct um, a warning against taking the Lord's name in vain Again, you could make a great biblical argument that, that, against that, but this is not what this passage is doing. The Bible does teach that. This passage is not directly speaking to that. It's not giving a warning against swearing a legal oath. In, in church history, many large congregations and, and, and kind of tribes within the Christian church have kind of created rules from this passage. For instance, if you were to go to court and you were a part of one of these groups, they would say when it, they tell you to swear on, on an oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, they would tell you don't do that because you would be breaking this passage. Well, that's not what James is saying here, if you get into a situation where you're in court and they tell you to, uh, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and, 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 and nothing but the truth, it is okay to say I do. It is okay. This, this passage is not addressing that. What I'm persuaded that it means, what James is trying to teach to us above all and, and bring to the to highlight of, of, of how important this issue is, is that our godly character should be enough to cause us to keep our word. That our godly character should be enough to keep us, uh, to cause us to keep our word. Uh, many cultures make oaths to weigh to, to add weight to their statements or their promises. Matter of fact, I, I learned this when I was in second grade. And I was uh, uh, a little second grader, little Kenny. And I think we were playing basketball or kickball or one of those things. Maybe, maybe uh, what's that one where you throw the string around, the ball around on the string? Tetherball. Tether I was just checking to see if you guys are paying attention. <laughs> But I was doing that out there, and you know how kids are, and, 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 they, and, they, and they make these great statements, 
And I remember it was just this like, like, like Christmas story when he puts his tongue on the pole. Remember that? Like it was one of those moments for me where, where there's little, little kids and this kid said something. I don't even remember what he said. And everyone was like, no, you're lying. And he goes, I swear on my mother's grave. Second graders, we just like, our, the wind was out of our, of the playground, went silent. The light shone on there. Oh, you could just see how much trouble he was going to get in. You can't do that. But it highlights that somehow cultures do this. We, we try to like swear on something because evidently what we're, our character is not enough to validate what we're saying. And I think that this is what James is talking about. How have we as a culture gotten to the point where we can't just say something and our yes is yes and our no is no. We have to invoke these types of, I swear on this or I swear on that. It's a character issue. It speaks to poor character. And so the first thing in your notes that we're going to look at from this passage is this. Simply this. Character matters. Character matters. Now Jesus, and we looked at this when we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, says something very similar to what his brother James is saying here in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, 34 through 37, Jesus speaking and he says, But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it is God's throne. So in this Jewish culture, some people were doing that. When they, would, when they would make a promise, they would make a business deal, they would try to validate what they were saying. They would say, I swear on heaven. <laughs> that was weighty, right? If you don't, don't do that. Why do you need to do that? Why would you have to do that? He says, because it's God's throne. Or by the earth. Some people would swear by the earth. Now, here's the way that it would work. Like if you, if you were making a business deal and you wanted to be locked in super tight, no way you could get out of it, you would swear by heaven. But if you swore by the earth, well, then there's a little wiggle room because that's not as serious. That was, that's what was going on in this community. And Jesus is speaking to that like, wait, we have different levels of integrity in this community? Why is that? And he goes, because it is the footstool. And don't swear by Jerusalem. Because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head. Imagine someone going that. If I, I promise to do that, and if I don't, may I lose all my hair, right? Or may my hair turn white, or may my hair turn black. That's what they were doing. And so Jesus was like, do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. You couldn't even live up to that promise or oath, right? But let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. So what he's saying is this. He's saying your character matters. He's saying, why can't, why can't your word be your bond? Why can't who you are in the community be such a, a, an integrity piece that people believe you? That people trust you? It's a character issue, and it's a community issue. It's about loving each other. It's about living a real life, living a good life in such a way that, that helps people see this Jesus. And so, so why does this matter so much? 
I mean, why does he, we would all agree, like, right, like being honest is important. Why does James start this like, like above all else? Like this is more important than you probably think at first. Like, I just want to bring more importance than just the general. There's a lot of things that are good and bad. He's, he's like, look, above all else, this is huge. This is foundational, he's saying. And, and there's two reasons, I think. And one, coming back to this, because it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Integrity is a heart issue. Saying yes and then keeping your word is a heart issue. Saying no and then not keeping your word It's a heart issue. So it's a heart issue. But beyond that, it's also an ambassador issue. It's an ambassador issue. The Bible says that we as Christians, when you become a Christian, you become his. And you be one of the things you become, you you get adopted and you become his son, right? And he's your heavenly father. You also become his representative on this earth. You do things in his name. Like when my kids go out of the house, they're a Keating. If they do something, it's in my name, right? It can tarnish your name. We do that in Jesus' name. Can you, can you just, just stop for a second? Isn't that radical that Jesus gives us his name to live by? I mean, how foolish might that be when you look at yourself and go, wow, I cannot be trusted with this. And yet he does. And what this, the idea is, is that you're an ambassador. An ambassador to a nation would be some, for the United States, would be someone who goes to another nation and represents the United States to that nation. We're here representing Jesus Christ on this earth. We're ambassadors. And this is an ambassador issue. That, it's a heart issue and it's an ambassador issue. That's why it has such a high priority to this James who cares because if it's an ambassador issue then that means it's an evangelism issue when we're trying to evangelize which means we're gonna we're gonna take this good news about Jesus and spread the gospel that's what evangelism is is telling people about how wonderful this Jesus is and what he's done for us that's evangelism this is an evangelism issue guess what else it's a discipleship issue We're disciple-making disciples. Our job is to follow Jesus, which means be his disciple, and then to make people disciples, people who follow Jesus and become more like him. This is a discipleship issue. It's an ambassador issue. And we've been learning some practical ways that we can passionately point people to Jesus in, in the last several weeks. And a couple of things that we talked about yesterday, I mean, I mean last uh, Sunday, I'll give you the two that we talked about last Sunday, and I want to add a third one this morning, right? Last Sunday, we talked about this. People are going are, are gonna to be pointed to Jesus through your life if you love one another, it says. It says in John 13, 35, it says, By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. We're supposed to be in a, a community that has that character trait where we love one another well and so much to where it would be in contrast to the way the world loves each other. Not so well. That's not always true in today's society, is it? The church has some work to do. This is a, above all else. Let's elevate that. Let's start here. The church needs to do a better job of loving each other. Let's not... Let's not get bitter at the church. Let's start here in our house. Amen? Amen. Let's be ambassadors 
Because loving one another is important. The second one is this, that our hope in hard circumstances. Anyone ever went through a hard circumstance? How you go through that hard circumstance, people are watching. When you go through hard circumstances with hope, you, you have an opportunity to be an ambassador like, you, like never before. You have an, an opportunity for people to literally see how you handle hard times. It's, every, it's a universal thing. Everyone handles hard times. And it's so much to the, that they might ask you, like, how, how do you do that? How are you handling that with such hope? And this is so true that Peter, in his letter, Peter had seen some hard struggles. So he had some experience with this. In 1 Peter 3.15, he goes, But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. In Thessalonians, Paul goes, like, when you go through a hard seasons and, you have, and, and you're grieving, he goes, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We grieve differently. We don't celebrate like people who have no hope. We celebrate differently. We don't have a worldview like the people who YOLO, you only live once. And basically what they mean is you only live once, so you must leverage all that you have in this life for the greatest reward on this earth. And Jesus comes along and he goes, no, you, should le- you, you, you only live this short life, but you should leverage everything in this short life for eternity and for the kingdom. It's a different reward system with the same work ethic, right? And so that's a different hope. If your only hope is here, you're going to just pour everything into here. But if your hope is beyond here, you're going to leverage everything here for that which is a greater reward for eternity. And so it's a hope issue. And then the third one that I would add is this, that our character, our character is something that God uses to point people to Jesus. It can, or it could go the other direction. And so that's why James, I think, is like, hey, above all else, check this out. We need to, we need to put some time thinking through this one, character. 1 Peter 2.12, he says this. He goes, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, among the, the, those who haven't yet put their faith in Jesus, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. What's that mean? People are going to see your life. When someone treats you rotten, when someone takes advantage of you, when someone says they will do something, and then their yes wasn't yes, and they let you down. When somebody betrays you, when somebody doesn't reciprocate the kindness that you give, the fact that you gave that kindness, the fact that you had integrity in the operation, the fact that you had character in your workplace, the fact that you maintained a godly attitude when nobody else did, it gets noticed. In the moment, you might feel all alone or like it's not making an impact. I think what Peter's saying is, no, live that way. And guess what? When it's all said and done, either next week or that day when they are standing before Jesus, face-to-face, which every single person will one day. They're going to remember. It's going to have impacted them. 
Character impacts eternity. Character impacts evangelism. Character impacts discipleship. Character is a big deal. So Jesus and James both simply say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's an example of having good character. Can people count on you? When you say you're going to do something, can they, can they just rest easy? It's going to get done. When you say you're not going to do something, do people have confidence that's not, that you're not going to because you said you wouldn't? No, he said he wouldn't do it. So I know that he, his word's good. Or, or is that an area where you need to work on? Character matters. And then I would just in follow-up, he talks about two very simple things, doesn't he? He goes, let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. So I would just take that simplicity and spread it out a little bit and, and try to dig into it a little bit. If that's true, if, if character is a heart issue, and what you say yes to must be a heart issue. So I would say it like this. What you say yes to matters. What you say yes to matters. This too is a heart issue. How do you gain a heart and a mind, and I would say put that together in a character that is good at saying yes to the right things? Anybody ever get in situations where you don't know what to say yes to and you don't know what to say no to? Any of you guys ever have too much to do and not enough time to do it? Too much, too, too little money and too many things going on? Priorities is a huge deal, right? Like above all else, how do you get your priorities straight? How, how do you become the type of person who has the type of character that is living their life for what matters most? How do you do that? I'll give you some practical ways that the scriptures teach us how to gain the type of character that says yes to the right things. And the first one would be this. We need to have minds that are tuned to God's heart through God's word. We need to have minds that are tuned to God's heart through God's word. I am not a musician, but if you're going to tune an instrument, you get a tuning fork. I mean, at least that's old school. You probably app for that now, right? But you used to get a tuning fork, and what the tuning fork did was, is you would hit it, and it would, it, would, it would set the standard. It would show you what in tune is. And then you would play your guitar against what it sounds like to be in tune, and you would go, oh, I'm out of tune. And then you would tune your guitar by that standard. The Word of God is like that. Our hearts and our minds get out of tune. Sometimes. Amen? I mean, the world, life's hard, all these pressures, a million things. And when we read the word, it's like, ting. Oh, now I know what in tune sounds like. Which if you're like a musical person, you're like, it didn't sound anything like what Kenny just did, right? (laughs) But you know what in tune sounds like. And so Paul says in Romans 12, he goes, Do not be conformed to this age or the patterns of this world, it says in other (laughs) translations. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. 
What that saying is, is spend so much time in God's word that literally your mind is becoming tuned to God's word. Your mind knows what God's word says. And then when you go like, okay, well, that's not what I think. Guess what's out of tune? So we tune our minds through God's word. And and, and he says, if you do that, then you'll be able to discern what God's will is. If you tune your mind to God's word, you're not going to have to find the black and white answer to everything that you're doing in the scriptures. Like, you're not going to have to get up in the morning and go like, man, should I have oatmeal or eggs? What should I do? Let's get a, let's find a Bible verse. Oatmeal or eggs, God, tell me what you want me to do. No, there's going to be some, some wisdom in there, right? And, and then for bigger things, who are you going to marry? What job are you going to pursue? What actions are you going to pursue when things get tense? How are you going to fix things that are broken, right? How are you going to address conflict? How are you going to, how are you, what, what are you going to spend your weekend doing? All of these things are going to be tuned. And, 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 and if your mind is tuned, then you're able to say yes to the right things. Secondly, that you need to have a heart that is hungry for God's best through delighting in Him. And we looked at this passage last week in Psalm 37, 4. It says this, it goes, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And we looked at that. It's not like a kid who wants a bike and says, the desire of my heart is to get a bike. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to delight myself in the Lord. And what that's going to look like is I'm going to obey my parents all week. Everything they say, do it, right? I'm going to go to church happily. Right? Because I'm eight and I don't always do that. Right? But my mom says I'm going to church. I'm going to be like, boom, I'm there, mom. Delight yourself in the Lord. What is the ultimate motivation? If I delight myself in the Lord, I get my bike. Because that's the desire of my heart. That's not what this passage means, obviously. What this passage means is something way more beautiful. It's that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he's going to get into that space where our heart is which is a storage container. He's going to get in there. He's going, to, he's going to just bring life to it. And he's going to start to change our heart. And he's going to start to change our mind. And guess what? We're going to start to delight in things that we never thought we would delight in. We're going to delight in serving people. We're going to delight in seeing somebody come to Jesus for the first time. We're going to jump up and high-five each other. Like, you wouldn't have done that before, but now you delight yourself in the Lord and the world looks different to you. Your hope looks different to you. Everything's looking different to you. So you delighted yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Augustine once said this, love the Lord and live freely. People have taken that very, very weird places. Love the Lord and live freely. I can do whatever I want. No, his point is this. If you love the Lord, you won't want to do what you want. You'll want to do what he wants. So you'll be able to live freely. You won't have to have an oath keeping you accountable. Why? Because your character will. Your heart will. That is the heartbeat of what James is saying in this simple but profound passage. And then number three that we would have a humble servant's heart. If you want to know what to, how to say yes to the right things, you need to have a humble servant's heart. In James 1.1, 1, 1, he says, he addresses himself like this. He goes, I'm James, a servant of God. Think about that. If I'm Jesus' brother, I might mention that. You know what I mean? Like, 
Kid comes in in that same second grade, and his dad is Wayne Gretzky, the old, like, you know, uh, hockey player, right? He probably, he probably adds that. Hey, uh, my name's Billy. I'm Wayne Gretzky's kid, right? Woo! Everyone loves this kid now, right? Wants to be his buddy, right? James doesn't do that. I mean, that would be a pretty... Hey, I'm going to give you a little, some, some things, and just so that you know how authoritative I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of Jesus' few brothers. No, not, not brothers like you guys are brothers. You guys are brothers, but no, like literally like we had the same mom, right? I would have said that. He doesn't. He goes, no, James, a servant of God. That's it. His character, his love for God are enough. He doesn't need to name drop. That is Jesus. He's Jesus' brother. In this old song, the main melody goes like this, the chorus. It goes... I'm just a nobody here to tell everybody about somebody who could save anybody. What if we just live like that? I'm just a nobody, but I'm here to love everybody, serve everybody, tell everybody about this somebody who could save anybody. It's this humble servant. If you lived with that perspective, your yes is would look a lot different. Mine would. What are some reasons that we say yes to the wrong things? <laughs> what are some reasons that we say yes to the wrong things? The first one is this, compromise. Compromise is saying yes to the wrong things. Com- compromise is justifying things that you want to do. I mean, you know that God doesn't want you to do them, but you justify them because, because you don't put them above all else. Character is no longer above all else you kind of put it like somewhere on the bottom of all else, right? Yeah, character matters way down here, right? So like if, if I want to do something, I mean, God will still love me, right? Isn't, isn't, isn't Christianity the religion of forgiveness and grace? So why are you judging me, right? I'm just doing what, I'm just doing this small thing. It's comp, little compromise is a heart issue. Saying yes to the wrong things with compromise is a heart issue, How do you combat that? Ding. You need to get in God's word. Let that tune it. You need to delight yourself in the Lord. Make him the greatest treasure, right? These are the types of things that we kind of can reverse these things, but compromise is a big deal. Second one is a fear of man. We say, oftentimes we say yes to the wrong things because we're afraid of saying no because of what people would think about us. Yeah, I'll do that. I know I shouldn't do that. Here's one at work for me. There's a lot of uh, the, I'll just be blunt, on the spectrum of pornography and watching Mr. Rogers, there is a huge spectrum. (laughs) When we're choosing what we're going to expose ourselves to on Netflix, this probably isn't the standard for me of what's going to impact me positively or negatively. It keeps pushing forward. I know this is blunt. Back in the day when they, when they started creating pornographic films, they would create terrible storyline with pornography. Now what's happened is it's bled together. And our greatest storytellers put pornography in their shows because it sells. It's no longer a terrible story with just what you know is bad. Now it's wonderful, engaging, inspiring story peppered with poison. 
at work for me. Guys watch all those shows. TV's on. Camaraderie is an important thing. Hanging out together is a horrid thing. What do I do when that show gets on? What do I do when you're watching the Dodger game, it gets done, someone else has the remote, and they put on something else? What do I do? If you're a man, compromise, it's a heart issue. It's a crossroads issue. This is what James is saying. If, you, if, if, if you're a yes man, if, if you said, hey, I'm, I want to be more like Jesus, and your yes is yes, then walk out. Don't do it in a way where you're making them feel foolish, right? But do it in a way where you're protecting your heart. And I would say a third one is that you have a, when you have a prideful heart, you say yes to the wrong things. A prideful heart is this. It's doing things that contradict God's word and your conscience isn't bothered by it. Sometimes our conscience gets seared. Sometimes we're in the middle of compromise and we don't even know it because we used to like feel bad about doing certain things, but we've, all, we've, we've just like readjusted. We've, we've re, we, what we've done is we've tuned ourselves to the world. We've done what, 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 what Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. We've tuned ourselves to the standards of this world, the patterns of this world, and now we no longer even feel bad. We don't even recognize it. We're just like the frog you put in the boiling water and they slowly turn the water up till it's too late and they're boiling. That's what happens. That's the enemy's strategy. And so this is a prideful heart. When you look at God's word and you're like, well, I know it says that, but I don't really feel bad about that. All that is is a seared conscience. That should be something that goes, God, I don't feel bad about it anymore. Come help me, right? But it's a prideful heart or a hard heart, and we want to have a soft heart. If you want to say yes to the right things, you'll need a soft heart, and you'll need thick skin. You'll need a soft heart because you want to delight in what God says. And you'll need thick skin because it is incredibly hard to do on this earth. And then what you say no to also matters. And we'll have the worship team come back up. What you say no to also matters. I would say this. Here's a strategy that I've seen many young people employ. If your yes needs to be yes, then if you say yes to something... And then you don't do it. What do we call that? Unfaithfulness. So the loophole is, I don't say yes to anything. That way, I'm never unfaithful. Here's the problem with that. God calls all of us to do stuff. And when you say no to God, whether that's through the prompting in in, in that inner, inner person, the Holy Spirit's like, hey, I'm, 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 giving you, I'm bringing this up over and over again. I'm, I'm putting you in front of this for a reason. I'm wanting you to step into this. When you say no, that's unfaithfulness. That's unfaithfulness. When the scriptures are telling you to do something, maybe it's forgiveness, and you're like, I'll put that off till some other time, right? No, no. That's unfaithfulness when you say no. When, it's, when, you, when, it's, when, it's, when, it's, when God's calling you to do something, whether it's through you're reading the scripture and it calls you to do something right there, when you're not obedient, that's unfaithfulness. We don't get the luxury of not committing to anything. Being non-committal as a, as a society is unfaithful as a society. We, 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 it's not the way we say no to things. 
And then saying yes to following Jesus means saying no to some things. How many of you guys know that? When you say yes to follow Jesus, you have to say no. Every time you say yes to one thing, you say no to countless millions of things. How many of you guys know that? You can't do everything at once. When you say yes to do something, you're saying no to thousands of things. When you say yes to following Jesus, you by the very nature are saying no to so many things. In Titus, a letter that Paul wrote to Titus, who's planting a small church in a small area, rural area. And he goes, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godliness and worldly lusts, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age. Let me just unpack that for a second, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move right into worship. Character matters. Amen? Character is a heart issue. Amen? Amen? What you say yes to is a character issue, and therefore it is a heart issue. What you say no to is a heart issue and a character issue. Amen? And what this passage is saying, like, how, what are some things that we can do? Like, oh, I'll just have everybody make a, a, a stronger commitment this week to having better character, okay? You guys got it? Have better character this week because it's really important. Wait, you said if I say yes, then my yes needs to be yes. I'm not sure I can make that commitment, right? No, we're learning some practical things, right? It, get into God's word as a good starting point. And not only get into God's word, but get into God's word in such a way that you're like, God, I believe that you are in tune. That's radically different than what I started to feel when I turned 16. I started to feel like, man, I read God's word and then I'm, I'm, I'm living in the real world. God is way out of touch. No, it's a, it's a totally different heart issue where you go, no, God's word is in tune. I'm way out of touch. The world is way out of touch. We're falling more and more out of touch. It's a totally different view. So when I say... Tune yourself to God's word is an attitude as much as it is an action with the intention of obedience. I'm not going to compromise when he says to do something. I'm not going to put it off. I'm going to let it be the high priority. This is grace. This is grace. Grace is something that, that, it, that God gives us that we don't deserve but also grace is something very practical in the scripture that help us do the things that we need to do. We're saved by grace. It means we get to get, uh, have a relationship with God because of grace. We're given abilities by grace. He says, you're saved by the grace of God. I'm going to give you abilities. That's in Romans chapter 12. It gives you abilities. He calls you to do things. He gives you his name and makes you an ambassador. As crazy and as foolish as that may seem, he goes, here's my name. Wear it well. That's crazy. That's grace. And then he gives you the ability to do that, to wear it well. He takes our little loaves of our character or whatever it is, and he's able to, to point people to Jesus and bring people to salvation and then give them gifts. This is all grace. 
And when, 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 when Paul was, was, was afflicted with an eye problem and he was in ministry and he was praying three times, God, I don't know if you've ever prayed so urgently that you could feel it in your bones. God, come take this away from me. I cannot handle it anymore. I need you to remove this so I can do what you've called me to do. And God's answer to him was no, but my grace is sufficient for you. And so God's grace will carry you through. God's grace is this incredibly big thing that we don't all, we try to, we try to like come up with a perfect definition of it. There's no perfect definition of it. It's just too big for definitions. Grace. And so Paul says to Titus, for the grace of God has appeared. For the grace of God has appeared. When it says, for the grace of God has appeared, it leaves you with some tension where you go like, okay, so what's going to happen from here, right? Well, the grace of God has appeared. Okay. Okay, that's a, that's a beginning of a, a sentence and gives me some context, right, to start from. The grace of God has appeared. Well, I want to leave us in that tension as we go into worship. Let's just all, let's just all embrace the fact that the grace of God has appeared. Jesus came. He did everything that we need to have a relationship with God. He gives us the Holy Spirit, which it says is, gives us everything we need for life and godliness. The grace of God has appeared. Let's sit in that tension for a moment. The grace of God has appeared. Let's walk into this week starting here. The grace of God has appeared. Okay. Now what? And let's worship in that, in that tension. And let's let, let's let God lead us this week. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.